there's fewer things in my life that I've done that are give me more goosebumps than standing there at the starting line and having the 168 seconds of silence. And welcome back to the Run to Remember Memorial Marathon podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Fairs, and I am thrilled to be a part of this show that celebrates the spirit of the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. Each week leading up to the marathon, you'll hear from runners, trainers, community members, and representatives who discuss everything race-related. If you have not had a chance to listen to our first episode, you do not want to miss it. I promise you, you will be inspired. In this week's show, you'll hear from running ambassador, Mark Bravo, city manager, Craig Freeman, and civic leader, Chris Fleming. The Run to Remember Memorial Marathon podcast is sponsored and produced by Knox Studios, a creative studio and production partner for the modern media age. So last week, I shared with you that my 17-year-old daughter has challenged me to make the jump from the half to the full marathon this year, and I have started my training. I even used some tips from trainer Bart Yasso that he shared with us on the last episode on my first long run this weekend, and I definitely thought long and hard about the words of Blaine, Amy, and Greg as I was pounding the pavement last week. Will you join me in running this year? If you haven't signed up to run or volunteer yet— Visit okcmarathon.com and register today. The 2022 Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon takes place the weekend of April 22nd through the 24th. Here's Race Director Carrie Watkins with more information. Hi, I'm Carrie Watkins, Race Director here with Operations Director Jordan Ward. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the 2022 race. Same course, really very minor adjustments along the way, but the runners will see the same course they ran in 21. Yes, we are excited. We finally reached our finish line. We're back in April, and we're back with a perfected course that we hope is here for the next several years. You know, we always try to moderate our event to reflect the changing city that we have. But if you did not run the course in October, please join us in April. You won't want to miss it. The crowd support and the new additions that we added are just unlike anything we've ever seen. It's a great time to join in, start training, and be a part of this event. So we're running two days. So let's talk about the Why We Run Challenge. The Why We Run Weekend Series is just an opportunity for you to participate in the race all weekend. So you can participate in either the 5K and the half or the 5K and the full. It's just a way that you can kind of get your warm-up run in on Saturday and then participate in your big race on Sunday and also visit the museum while you're in town, stay at one of our partner hotels, do one of the many things that OKC has to offer while you're in town. It's just a, a way to engage your family, friends, and to come and support the Memorial Museum. And then there's the Governor's Relay Challenge. If you don't want to run a big race, you can jump in the relay and pick your spot and try to beat the Gov. Yes, the relay is a crowd favorite because um, with you and four of your friends, a five-person team, you can run a marathon together. And your team, um, everyone's entered in to try to beat the Gov. So if you beat the governor's team time, then you get a shirt mailed to you that says, I beat the Gov. And it's just something fun we've done over the past few years. It's a great way to run because there's a lot of different distances the relay has to offer. Well, it's really just a way also to get people out and off the couch and participate in some race. So there's a 5K, there's a relay that has five different distances. 
and then there's the half marathon, the full marathon, or you can run with your kids and start training and run a mile a week or so, and then run the last 1.2 miles. Why are all those different races so important? It's an opportunity for everyone to participate. Whether you have been running forever or it's your first time, there's a distance for everyone. There's a place for everyone. And if you know, you try it out and running's really not your thing, you can volunteer for any of the races. And so that's what we're about here is everyone being able to participate and be involved to support the mission of our race. So your job is big. It's the course. It's the volunteers on the course. It's making sure music's on the course, medical's on the course, water stops are there. Tell us a little bit about what you do day in and day out and why it's really a year-round effort to make sure race weekend comes off without a hitch. My job is really special because I get to support a lot of the components that go on. So not only do I support the runners day in and out, making sure they have what they need for their race, communication, um, also supporting all of the volunteers that put on this race because it's not just me. It's not just me and Carrie. It's tons and tons of people that put on this race. So I support about 40 chairmen that work all year to put on the race. And there's 3,000 race volunteers that we support. I also support our staff at the museum because many of you might not know everyone has a working job at the museum and a job working the race too. So we wear many hats and a lot of what that looks like is coordinating all of the behind the scenes logistics all year long so that come April, everything is smooth and everything that you've been training for and exactly what you expect it to be come race day. It's crazy to see how many people really rallied to make this event what it is today and um, just happy to be a small part of it. Yeah, I had a trustee tell me this year, I had no idea it took all these components to make the race. How does this happen? And I'm like, we- monthly, biweekly, weekly meetings all year long to get to that. And it's 99% volunteers with our staff kind of overseeing some things. But it's a remarkable journey of 21 plus years now of volunteers leading the effort and us supporting them. And you do a great job of that. Tell, tell me why this race is so meaningful to you. You've seen races. You've worked races all over the country. Why are we different than some other races? This race is meaningful to me because there's something contagious about it. You know, I've ran a half, I would say ran and walked a half <laughs> um, and, you know, worked lots of races. And as you mentioned, gone to different expos. But there's something about when you participate in this event, it changes you and it changes how you see life and how you celebrate things and to get to be around people that want to come back and be a part of that every year is very special. And I think for me, just getting to to witness that, to put on something to support people in reaching their goals and to just honor the mission of this race, why we even are running. We wouldn't have this race without what happened in 1995. And even though I was very young on that day, growing up, we were actually, my dad took us to the museum the day that it opened. So we were at the museum day opening and we lived in Tulsa actually, and we drove up to come see it. And I remember that and throughout my life have had different touch points of the memorial and being exposed to the mission. So to kind of come full circle unknowingly and to just be um, be a part of what's happening here is an honor, but also just to get to to support people. And you can't stand at our finish line and not be excited about running or about life, about 
being alive and celebrating life, celebrating life. That's just something that I think makes us stand apart because there's just nothing else like that. There's nothing else out there like that. Well, and you've got some big changes in your life. You you are about to be, become a mother, so it's a big change for 2022. You'll be around leading up to race, but race weekend, you're going to be home with a new baby. Yes, that's very different. I have my own finish line I'm headed <laughs> towards right now. It, it is. It's exciting, but it's going to be weird not being there physically. I'll be there <laughs> behind the scenes in other ways. But yeah, that's that's the plan. Well, we're really excited, and Jordan's done a great job of bringing along a cadre volunteers and then some new staff who's learning the ropes and will be able to fill in for her. But the operations of the marathon never go unnoticed because if something's wrong, we hear from you. When they go right, you're excited. But I think what we want to hear from you, the runners, is if there's something we can do better, we want to we want to know that. If there's something we do well, we want to know that so we can emphasize it. And we want to make sure that you understand that this course is a, a process that goes through three different cities, three different city councils. It goes through a lot of neighborhoods. That's all buy-in that we have to get. We never take that for granted or assume that we're going to have it from year to year. So that's something Jordan works on all year. And then we have to deal with COVID. And, and we're recording this and in hopes that all is normal. And we, we're planning on a completely normal race. But we have to deal with this new variant and all that it brings. And so we will require a vaccination or a negative test again in 2022. And so it's important that you know that up front. We're working on our own registration so that you can upload your vaccination card and it makes the expo easier. But you want to talk about that? Yeah, we just first off appreciate everyone's um, patience and flexibility as we just return to racing. I think um, we're all just grateful to be able to be back and have in-person events. And so after putting off our event in October, we learned a lot and heard from you. And we just want to make that process as easy as possible. And so we're looking at a lot of different technology that wasn't necessarily available when we had our race in October to where you can upload your vaccination card or a test in advance so that it's just one last step for you to have to deal with at the expo and just ways that you can have maybe have someone pick up your packet for you in a safe way. We've heard all of those things loud and clear and are just doing everything we can to have our race be safe, but also just be easy for you and just one thing off your worry list as you run on the big Sunday. Well, I mean, COVID is, for whatever reason, has become a polarizing issue, and we don't want that to be. We all want to be safe and healthy, and that's our goal is to run a race that is not a super spreader. Many races around the country, it is vaccination or you don't run. We're trying to give runners an alternative, and we believe that's our audience, and we're trying to do that. And so if you have questions, you can read all of our requirements on our newly updated website and make it very easy for you to understand what we expect from the runners and to create the healthiest, safest atmosphere we can on the streets of Oklahoma City, Nicholas Hills, and the Village. When we run to remember, we run to remembering why we have this race in the first place and keeping our eye on the mission of this race. It is our largest fundraiser. It's critical to the upkeep and maintenance of the Memorial Museum, and we're thrilled and grateful to so many runners who step up and help us, and to the spectators in the neighborhoods and the Public Works Department. I mean, so many great people who are contributing to this race and its success. Thank you, Carrie and Jordan. 
Last episode, we had the honor of speaking with Hall of Fame runner Bart Yasso. In today's episode, we bring you Mark Bravo. He's a nationally known running ambassador, coach, and author. Mark Bravo, we are excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Real pleasure. Yes. So I know that you're a trainer and a coach, and you're involved in the marathon. Can you tell us about your involvement? My involvement in the marathon started year one when I was asked to do some color commentary on K4's broadcast of the race. I don't know that anyone knew the vastness the race would entail over the years. I certainly didn't. I thought it was a one-year gig, and I'd move on to running it. And before the race was over, I was pretty much captured. And it's been now for 20, 21 years, my favorite day of the year. What makes this race so special to you? Well, anyone in Oklahoma has a connection to this event. What the marathon has done is turn a tragedy as best we could, took very positive things from it and elaborated on that. We are honoring and remembering, and it's all about the families and those affected changed forever. People come for the premise often, but they keep coming back. You had a business, well, where your business is located now during the time of the bombing. How did you get into OK Runner and training from the business you had prior? My family had an 88-year downtown business, the last 30 of which were where I am now at 6th and Broadway. We had a pawn shop, the first pawn shop in Oklahoma my grandfather created in 1911. So I'm only responsible for about the last quarter of those years, Uh, maybe 23, 24 years. Got to work with my parents, uh, pretty small business all those years, but very proud of that. From there, actually a very short time, I was an investment advisor. I decided that was not where I wanted to spend my main time and began coaching, uh, private running coaching, wellness coaching, taught a lot of yoga. And so it was an easy transformation. I wanted to continue to see the faces of these folks aspiring to better themselves from wherever they are. So the OK Runner folks I knew for a long time started talking and about six years ago came in with intention to open a business. I had sold the business. I simply chose this building, not because of the history really, but because I thought it was the best place on Automobile Alley. And it's been a great five years, some ups and downs as everyone's had, but uh, very great. Yes. So you were a runner prior to this, obviously. When did you start running? I think we've hit 40 years as a long distance runner. I don't know that I'd ever think I would say that. I'd like to consider myself a runner still, but (laughs) and it looks very different than it used to, but still run and have training groups out of OK Runner. And I came to OK Runner because of the interaction I could have with these folks. I wanted to carry that on. Injuries in in your mid-60s now has made me more and more grateful for the sport. And I live vicariously through runners and walkers at the store and at start and finish lines, and nothing summarizes that more than marathon weekend. Yes, it's a fun weekend for sure. So I, I guess I've been running now for, I would say, I'd call myself a runner for 13 years. So for somebody like me, for somebody who's been running 13 days, what motivates you to keep running for 40-plus years? Running and any form of motion, in my opinion, helps make you the best you can be. 
from wherever you are, if you keep the comparisons out, either to others, to yourself a couple of years ago, especially with what we've gone through uh, here and now that races are coming back, folks want to get back out there, but they're challenged because maybe they haven't run in a year to two years. The sport does so much beyond the physical. If you're simply keep the gratitude, keep the love for it, know that every day will not be a walk in the park, and that's why you're doing it. When folks are at, say, a race expo and they see hundreds and thousands of people who are all runners, sometimes it's easy to think, well, I'm doing nothing special. We're all doing this. You're still in a very rarefied minority who, without getting paid, doing it of your own volition, gets out there, either creates a plan or just makes sure you're doing what you can do daily, every other day, and it transcends people's lives often. I get to see it. I, when I'm very lucky, maybe get to play a small part in it. And so it's never about a comparison. You run into an elite or a 20-year runner, doesn't matter. You're doing what you can do. And you get to have all of those many victories that they had at some point getting to where they are. Yes. I tell my daughter often, it's just not every run's going to be a great run. And some days you just have to get out and put one foot in front of the other. But you just have to keep that joy and that love and, and not compare yourself. I love that you brought that up too. Those are all good things to remember. And remember that those days that are particularly character building help us appreciate the great ones more and more. In yes. training for a half a full marathon, a 5K, you're going to have days that are half the distance you aspire to that you barely feel like you're crawling in, slogging in. Uh-huh. Trust your training. It's continuity of practice. It's not one Herculean effort or one terrible effort that defines you at all. Mm-hmm. So as I've started my training, I've run the half distance several times. I'm taking the plunge this year. I'm I'm doing the full for the first time. Wow, congratulations. Yes, thank you, thank you. Nothing like a little podcast pressure to <laughs> join in and have people follow I'll along. I'll be checking on, on you. Yes, I'm going to have a lot of people holding me accountable. Where should I be in the training process? As we're starting this, it's the first of the year. Where should we be? Well, many training groups are breaking out just now around the city. If that camaraderie is something that will help and it it is powerful to a lot of people. Maybe jump in one. The Oklahoma City Running Club, the Land Runners, has a weekend long run. You don't have to go as far as they go. They have it based toward the half and the full marathon. You could jump in there back to the glass three-quarter full. Another reason I continued running, I would say, four decades ago, 99% of folks I encountered were positive. And that kept me out there. So where you should be right now is getting a base, say for a half marathon. We want, before we break into concerted training, for you to be consistently at, say, 15 miles a week. You have plenty of time. You've got four months until Memorial Marathon weekend. There are a few hard and fast rules. For instance, try not to make up runs that put you in harm's way. Like if you've done a long run and you've decided to adopt an intensity workout and you missed one, put it right next to the long run? No, because the only thing that can stop you is injury. 
You will make it if you're not injured in one form or another. So think of it as the 10% rule. If you're running 15 miles a week, maybe you go to 16 or 17 next week. Doesn't sound like a big graduation upward, but that's largely the way it goes. Maybe you land around 25 miles a week at training's end in late April. You remember your taper week, the last week. Uh, some people, especially for half or full marathon distance, taper partially for two weeks. That means foot off the gas. You'll want to run because maybe at that point you're fine-tuned. The kinder you treat yourself on race Saturday, Sunday, or both days here in Oklahoma City, you will thrive if you go to the line fresh. So a methodical approach, little by little, look up a plan, join a group, uh-huh. seek some experienced counsel. Great tips. Um, speaking specifically to injury prevention, can you elaborate a little bit more? I mean, I know you said to not put yourself in harm's way, to recover after a long run. What else would you suggest? Equipment is pretty important okay. if you seek out a professional gait analysis, which you don't have to pay for in in running specialty wellness stores, you have, I would say, virtually all of them trained people to show you either via a treadmill or either as we largely do at OK Runner, we're trained to give you an eye test. We just take a look at your motion and then we watch you. We decide on the cali- the department of shoe, not the type. And this can be done anywhere that has certified people. So equipment is very important. If you have certain characteristics and don't have the right shoes, it can really lead to an arduous training cycle. Then, as far as training tips, if you're feeling something, don't be afraid to take a day off. As we ramp up in miles, again, keeping it methodical and not too much at once, the body probably will talk to you in some ways in the course of this four-month cycle because you may be well fit to go the miles you're going, but you're asking your body often to handle impact that it's not been asked of maybe ever or in a while. So listen, ask questions. You don't have to worry about every little bit of soreness when you're waking up. That can be progress. But acute pain, you want to address before it becomes uh, acute lasting pain. Mm -hmm. So mainly common sense, equipment, and a sensible approach to upping your miles. Mark, thank you. This has all been great advice. I really appreciate your time today. If you would like more information, you can find Mark at runbravo.com. Next, I'd like you to meet Chris Fleming. He sits on the board for the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm the president of Midtown Renaissance, uh, which is a redevelopment company here in Oklahoma City. In that role, I'm responsible for kind of the redevelopment of this area of Oklahoma City. I also run the family office for Bob Howard. And through that, we have a lot of different investments in, in the community. And part of what I get to do is, is serve the community in that role as well. So, And you're originally from Oklahoma City. Yeah. So do you remember April 19th? Absolutely. So I was in seventh grade. I was in home economics class. And my home ec teacher was the grandmother of 
Tyler Eves, who was one of the babies that was killed. Oh, wow. And so I was in her class when it happened. I remember the next class I went to, I mean, again, you go back, you remember viscerally kind of where you were at the time and the feelings around it. Even today, I experience it almost through seventh grade eyes as opposed to through adult eyes. And it was before the age of the internet and streaming news and 24-7 news. And so we were listening to it on the radio Uh and getting updates that way. I remember when I first saw it on TV, just how horrified I was of how this bombed out building looked. And you don't expect that to be in America. You don't expect to see an attack like that by whomever in Oklahoma, let alone the United States. And so it was a very important welcome to the world type of moment for me as, you know, as a adolescent and really was a memory that's still etched in my mind. Sure. I was a similar age and just had that similar reaction of not only how does this happen in the United States, but how does this happen miles from where I am and how it was almost just like a loss of innocence right then Absolutely. of like, this is usually so far away and now it's right here. And we know so many people who are are affected in such a profound way. Did you know other people affected? So a babysitter that I had growing up, her name was Jenny Curry and her dad, Steve Curry was in the building and died when it happened. My father-in-law, he was one of the first people to kind of ran to the scene just to kind of see what had happened and if he could provide any assistance in some form or fashion. And the soles of his shoes were burnt from wherever he was standing. And so it's just, it's stories like that. And then in my work today, you know, this Midtown area, the whole neighborhood was affected and buildings were, were twisted and marred and glass. You go up and down Automobile Alley and those buildings look like they do today because they got new glass in mm-hmm. 1995, 96. And so you have that reminder. I mean, we've got a building that's across the alley from where we're sitting now. And if you look at that building, the top row of bricks is, is a different color than the rest of the building. And it's because the top rows of bricks were shaken off the building when the bombing happened. And so that was the closest color they could come up with at the time to match the brick that was originally set in 1911 or 1909 Mm -hmm. or whenever it was built. So, you know, there's reminders of the scars, but yet the rebirth is a reminder of what's come from it. And it's an important part of the fabric of our city, absolutely. Sure. And, And so obviously this is important to you. This cause is important to you. So you're serving on the board of the Memorial Marathon and you run. I'm sure just knowing personally people who passed away in the bombing that seeing those banners along the course is very impactful to you. Absolutely. I think when you look at those banners and you remember the reason why we run and the reason why there is even an Oklahoma City Marathon and the shape that it takes, that helps you grind through even the toughest part of the race and you know, it's just this last marathon, you're coming up Fifth Street and elevation rises and you feel like you're running in mud. And then you look up and you see the 903 gate and all of a sudden you have that, you know, reminder of 
this is something that's bigger than just a normal race. Right. I mean, this is something that is people's lives were taken, people's lives were affected. And I think the reason that we run is truly deeper than just a race. Sure. Are you running this April? I am running this April. And my goal is to qualify for Boston. Oh, wow. And so I've never trained diligently for any of the marathons that I've run. And so the first marathon that I ran, I decided to run 10 days before the race. And wow. <laughs> and so I didn't have running shoes, like real running shoes. I didn't have, I, I just Googled, what do I need to have for a marathon? And so I ended up getting all this stuff in like 10 days before the race and started running. I think my first training run was like four miles. And I did that a couple of days. And the <laughs> Sunday before I ran 10 and I ran four or five miles until the Thursday before. And then I took Friday, Saturday off and then ran the marathon on Sunday. And that's exactly what they tell you to do. Um, <laughs> and, and how did that work out? I ran it in 3.56. Oh my gosh. And so that was uh, kind of fun. And yeah, I had a goal. It's, it's a different story. <laughs> yeah, I figured I could run it based on how I ran the 10 miles. If I could just survive, you know, running the rest of the 16.2, sure. I could probably come in around four. And so that was kind of my goal that I set out there. And one was to finish and then two was to finish it four under. And, and so I did that. And then I think at that time it was like, okay, I can do better, but I wasn't ever fully committed to training for it. But right now I'm in the midst of a training schedule that I'm actually like, it's kind of ridiculous because I have this spreadsheet that has what I have to do every day. So this morning I ran 400 meter repeats and, uh, interval training today and then just have it all kind of worked out every day between now and the race, which is something I've never done before. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that I can that I can achieve the goal. And if I can't, then maybe I'll find a course that is historically faster and, <laughs> and get into it that way as well. Less hilly. <laughs> Less hilly, exactly. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your training regimen. What else are you doing? So historically, I've done more cross-training type Um, working out. And so I grew up as a soccer player. And so there was endurance that came with that and just running a lot during games. But before my first marathon, I think probably the longest distance I had run continuously was three and a half miles. And then that first year, that four mile race, like that's the longest I've ever run. And now it's like four miles I can go do in my sleep type of thing. So now it's one day off a week usually is Friday and then run fast on Saturday and a long run on Sunday and then kind of easier runs during the week with the exception of maybe like Wednesday being an interval or speed day. And so fast on Wednesday and Saturday and then kind of longer and slower on the other days. Have you run other races outside of Oklahoma City? Not marathons, but I've run halves and, and 10Ks and 5Ks uh-huh. and things like that. What makes this race so special? I think it come, it ties back to the mission of why the race even exists and who the beneficiary of any funds raised from the race are and what that means to the community. And so I think the culture of Oklahoma City is embodied in the race. There's fewer things in my life that I've done that are 
give me more goosebumps than standing there at the starting line and having the 168 seconds of silence. And you're like, God, this is a 168 seconds is a long time. And you can do different mindfulness, you know, breathing and different things like that along the way. But, you know, when you're sitting there and you're ready to go run this race, it really helps center you and focus you on the mission. Mm -hmm. And that right there hones people or at least it hones me in on why we are where we are and why we're doing what we're doing. And again, it's such a meaningful event in the city's history, both the bombing and the loss that came from it, but then also also kind of the rebirth and renaissance that has, has come from it. And I think that the marathon can help continue to remind people that the event happened because I think as time goes on and the farther we get away from April 19th, 1995, it is more difficult for people to remember because there's just more people around that were not born then or were little babies then or just it was before their memory and or they didn't live in Oklahoma City then. And so it's an important way to expose people to a big piece of our culture in Oklahoma City. That's a big reason why I think it's different than other races. It's so embedded in the culture of the city. And the reason why we run is is a big piece of the city's mm-hmm. culture. And what about the neighborhoods that we run through? I think the neighborhoods, it's, it's super fun. I mean, you get to see all parts of the city. Everybody comes out and just the encouragement that people bring, the party atmosphere that's along the course. People come out Sunday morning before breakfast, you know, people would either sleep in or be getting ready for church or something like that. And the fact that they're taking their time to support total strangers running along the street, I also think speaks to the culture of our community. And seeing people out and the support that they give is a boost to runners. I mean, absolutely. It's that turbo button or it's that God, this hill really sucks because, you know, it's, this, it's the longest hill, the Gorilla Hill on the course. And because there's so much support around you, you don't even realize that you're going uphill. Right. So the, the people coming out are, you know, the wind in your sails and, and the downhill force to make things easier and bring a smile to your face and help you kind of forget the grind of it for a minute. And then just the party atmosphere, it brings neighbors together in those neighborhoods. You know, I remember running through Lakehurst this last marathon and it's bounce houses and it's food trucks and it's just, you know, a big block party. Mm -hmm. And what else gets people out of their houses to get together and exemplify community more than things Mm -hmm. like that? And so it gets back to what I said before about it being a piece of culture for our community. It certainly is emblematic of that. Mm -hmm. How do you see this race evolving? Where do you see it 10 years from now? Well, I hope that having the two-day event can really cause it to be a weekend party for the city. I mean, a Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, that is a magnet that has a gravity to it that brings in people. You know, we have runners from all around the, the country and all around the world and just to continue and grow that. And I think the more festivities that can be put around that and and tied to that weekend will just make that gravity even stronger. I see it turning into a race weekend that has 
events that the events will also draw people in and, and create that energy. Maybe if you're not a runner, you come just because maybe the concert or whoever's playing right. at a concert the night before or things like that. And then maybe at that point, you get exposed to the reason why we run. And, and I think as the weekend kind of continues to blossom, I think it just turns into the premier race for the region. Mm-hmm. The proceeds from this event go to support the memorial and museum. And I know you're involved with that on the board. Can you talk to us about your role there? So I was asked to be on the board of trustees probably four years ago and have served various roles kind of since that on different committees. What a lot of people don't realize is that the operations of the museum receive no federal funding for the operations. To turn the lights on, to pay staff, those funds all have to be raised. And there's really three sources of income for the museum, and it's paid admissions, earnings from the endowment, and funds raised from the marathon. So without the marathon, we don't have a museum, and it's a world-class museum. Right. What lessons have you learned from serving on the board? It's been an interesting time because... If you just take the marathon as an example of what we went through, I mean, we were going on all cylinders in 2019 and had close to record race numbers, record participants, and record fundraise. And so everything's just hitting on all cylinders. And then when the, the world kind of stopped, that really turned things into, oh my gosh, all of a sudden we're having to figure out how to survive, you know, so from going from thriving to just like, oh my gosh, how do we survive? How do we make it through this and not just make it through it to survive, but how do we come out the other side of it better? You know, it was not easy planning two marathons in in six months and one of them being virtual and putting that decision off as long as we could. And then all of a sudden pivoting to that and pulling it off. Uh-huh. Did you run virtually? I did. I absolutely 26.2 miles virtually? I did. I did. I did the half virtually. Well, I ran it with my husband, yeah. but I was thinking along the way, this would be really hard to keep going without, you know, the neighborhoods, the community, yeah. the support. So I'm very impressed. Yeah. So I was able to rope in my family to be my water stops uh-huh. along the way. And so I had plotted out a course and and even if I started... I probably started about 6.30 in the morning, like the normal marathon starts. So I had to really beg somebody to be that first, first. couple of water stops. <laughs> they did, and, and it was pretty fun because they wouldn't get to experience something like that on a normal race. Because, you know, like this last race, they were able to see me on the race course maybe two or three times, right. but the logistics of it, it's hard to get around and pacing and different things like that and where traffic is closed off. My father helped, my sister helped, my wife and two kids helped. And so they kind of alternated along the way and then kind of all joined there at the finish line. And then my kids ran the kids marathon virtually that year. And so after I finished my 26.2, I went and ran their 1.2 with them. Oh, wow. And so that was, they run a little bit slower pace than, than I get. So that was kind of a cool, a cool down (laughs) run. run. That's right. But it was a lot of fun. And and it got them kind of hooked on it too. So yes. they ran it again this last year, the kids marathon piece. You know, they could just be sitting on their butts playing video games or or whatever. So it gets them outside, gets them moving, gets them active, and they get to learn about goals and accomplishing something. And then got my family who had never really experienced kind of a race day environment 
it got them jazzed up to come out and support, you know, the race again this year and not just cheer for me, but cheer for everybody else mm-hmm. along the way, which is, which is pretty fun. Yeah. So just kind of wrapping up, what do you think that Oklahoma can teach the world about hope and resilience and strength? I think that, that Oklahoma's story is, if you want to call it the Oklahoma standard, is really embodied in our response to the bombing in 1995. You know, I remember as a kid, and it's like, hey, we put out the call, we need work gloves. Then they have like a million sets of work gloves that show up. Okay, we don't need work gloves anymore. We need wheelbarrows. Okay, well, we don't need those anymore. We need shovels and, you know, all this stuff. People just in their hearts want to help and and look for ways to help and ways to connect. We could have cowered in the face of fear, in the face of of violence, we rose to the occasion and showed that we're going to meet fear and violence with hope and love and strength and resilience and come back stronger than we were before the event. And I think you see that as you drive around our city, we made the community better than it was before. And we did it in a way that was respectful of the people who lost loved ones, respectful of survivors and in respectful of those people whose lives were changed forever. And I think if you were in Oklahoma at the time, your life was changed forever, regardless of if you knew anyone or not. Just the positivity that came out of such a tragic event should be an example to the world because bad things are going to happen and you can't control the things that happen, but you can absolutely control your response. And I think our response was world-class. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks for having me today. Now we bring you Craig Freeman. He's the city manager for Oklahoma City, and he offers up some unique insight on what it takes to put together an event of this magnitude. Craig, thank you for joining us today. I just can't imagine the work that goes into putting on a marathon. Can you give us a little insight into how the city goes about this? I wouldn't have the first idea how to develop a marathon, but I can tell you that that Carrie and Jordan and their team do a great job. They're really great partners with the city, but we have multiple different departments that get involved. Our public works department gets involved. They're fixing streets, knowing where the route's going to be. They're making sure the streets are in good shape, working on traffic signals. It's really uh, a lot of people being involved there. They park equipment in certain areas to block off streets to create a safer environment for the runners. The police department's involved. And we have more than 200 police officers that will be out there and engaged in one way or another, sometimes in plain clothes, sometimes in uniform, just creating a more secure environment and planning the route. Our emergency management division of our police department is involved. So there's just a lot of planning that goes into it. They start months ahead and they're all working together. It pulls our parks department in, embark the bus service. They'll change their routes to try to make sure they don't engage with the the marathon. So there's just a lot of different people get involved with it, but it's a partnership. It's a team effort. They not only get out there and do the work that they have to do, but they become cheerleaders. They're encouraging people along as well. I just think it's a great thing for our city employees. Letting them be a part of that is really a great reward. You and your team just do an amazing job of planning this event each year. Can you tell us a little bit about the planning the course and some of the neighborhoods the runners can expect to see? It's really about safety and security for the runners, but it's also about the best ways to try to engage as much of the community as you can in a good 
clear, concise route. You see how just pulled in different parts of the community. And you think of all the different parts of the community that are included now with the marathon and how they embrace the marathon. Some of the neighborhoods, I'll just list off a few, but some of the neighborhoods are downtown, Deep Deuce, Crown Heights, Edgemere, Sparrow Park, Mesta Park, Heritage Hills, Lincoln Terrace, Douglas, Jefferson Park, the Asian District, Lakehurst. And that's not even all of them. You know, it's even more than that. I really love the fact that it pulled in Northeast Oklahoma City. So we add a part of the community and then it finishes now at Scissor Tail Park. And it's like Scissor Tail Park is like a crown jewel of the MAPS programs. And it's a park for everyone. And that gets to finish there. And there's just so much energy around that. And so it's really exciting. My son, actually, my oldest son actually ran the marathon for the first time, the full marathon for the first time this last year. And he just talked about how incredible it was to go through those neighborhoods. And, you know, there's some neighborhoods that have been included for a long time. They've developed traditions through the years. And then others are brand new to it, but everyone gets involved and embraces it. And it's businesses and churches and neighborhoods coming out and they encourage the runners along the way. And it was so much a part of the experience. It's not just you're going out there and taking on this challenge and running it, but it was just so much a part of the experience. And the neighborhoods are a huge part of that. And it really does engage the whole community. And I think that comes back to how the Memorial Marathon so represents what the memorial is about for our community. And so it's really, really exciting to see all those neighborhoods be included. So what role do you think that the course plays in runners choosing to participate in an event? Runners, a lot of times, they want to participate in an event, but when they're choosing events they're going to participate in, the route plays into it, how it's set up, how it works. But what it represents is important, too, and I think it's really great that it keeps us in front of us. It's just another way that it keeps us in front of us as a community to remember what happened, but then to remember what we need to do as human beings, you know, and how we engage with each other, how we treat each other. And something I love about the memorials, like the spirit and the feel that's there is everybody pulling for everybody else. And I think it's remembering what happened and remembering the event and what we're doing to heal, but it's also about how we relate to one another in the future so we don't see something like that again. I think it, it just represents so much for our community. So there's lots of different reasons that a runner might choose a particular race. What role do you think that the course plays in runners choosing to participate in a race? I think what the Memorial Marathon does is it creates that kind of environment. Again, you go down there, like I said before, my son ran his first uh, full marathon and we were down there at the finish line and the energy that's down there. And it's like, it's people that don't know each other just pulling for each other. And it's other participants pulling for participants that are out there with them. And it's people that have never run before like me, that some people doing it, taking on a challenge for the first time, some people walking it. It was about participation. It was everyone there. And it's kind of a judge-free zone. You can be anything, wear anything, run any way you want to, walk any way you want to. And it's really about everyone participating and being a part of it. So many runners say that the start of this race is so unique and special. What do you think it means for the community? The race has traditionally started at the memorial and they have the 168 seconds of silence at the beginning because, you know, sometimes we got to stop ourselves and remember things that we don't want to remember. But it's not to dwell on that and stay there, but it's to move on to the healing part and the recovery and the helping. And so I think it's great that it starts there. And then you run this course that goes through the whole community, representing how this affected the entire community, some very, very directly in their family and their friends and neighbors, but it affected the entire community. And so it, it represents that, I think, starting there. And then when you finish over at Scissor Tail, and it's really this celebration of finishing, it's like how we start to recover and how we start to move forward as a community. And I think the race really embodies that. 
I could not agree more, Craig. I really appreciate you joining us today. Kudos to the city for the work you and so many departments put in to help ensure the runner's safety. We're looking forward to another great race this year. And that's a wrap for episode two. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we close out, I wanted to remind you that we're always wanting to hear from you. If you have topics or stories you'd like us to cover, go to okcmarathon.com and click on the podcast button. Send us a note and let us know what you'd like to hear. The Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon runs the weekend of April 22nd through the 24th. Sign up today if you haven't already. We'll be back next week with more exciting guests and stories. This is Kristen Fairs, and we'll see you next time. Got what it takes